Stay stand. I want to. I just want to read the passage over us that we're going to be looking at today. Paul's writing. Says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since then we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So as the grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Father, would you help us right now to understand these truths from your word? Father, we, may we be a group of people that don't lose heart. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. All right, have a seat. Well, I don't know how the last few weeks has been for you. But, oh, I'm a little, I don't even know the word for it. I think uh, I hadn't really watched the news or followed the news for a while, which is always better for me. Um, some of you need to be informed. Uh, it's better if I'm not informed, <laughs> sometimes I feel like. But kind of as the election came along and different things, I don't know how many of you felt this way, but it just kind of feels just heavy. And in the midst of that heaviness, obviously, we had the shooting. And on Friday, we were able to, here at Cornerstone, to uh, celebrate the life of a young lady that was shot as one of the victims there. And, and then yesterday, we had uh, the funeral. Some of you might know Christina Reeker. She worked over in our children's ministry for a long time. We got to celebrate just who she is in Jesus. And I mean, I was even thinking, what's the world like for her now? Just seeing Jesus Christ. But it's heavy. I think what that <clears throat> has done in me, and it's, it's interesting, probably a lot of you feel this way, is as uh, we kind of move along in life, we start to realize life is very fragile. It's one of those things that it comes, it's here for a while, and we know this, that at any moment there are twists and turns in life in which uh, at any moment <clears throat> life can be over. And it's interesting, this passage, what Paul's going to get after, he's going to, you kind of saw it there in verse 16, he's going to say, but we don't lose heart. Now, one of the things that we have to realize is about us, and this is what Paul's going to help us to understand, is he, is he wants us to embrace this idea of not losing heart, is that we are, and if you can see up there, we are jars of clay. In other words, Paul was affirming this reality, if you feel like 
This world, kind of in its nature, is fragile. You are exactly right that we are, in the nature of who we are, all human beings, we are jars of clay. Now, the jars of clay at that time were just kind of, again, jars that were used. It's actually more the idea of probably just a vessel, but they would keep water in them, keep different things in them, but they would know when they would break, they would, just, they would discard them and they would move on to the next one. But they had a limited use to them and then they were done. That's what he's trying to describe is that this world in which we live in, it's limited. Now, the thing about living in a limited world, though, that we start to have to kind of understand about ourselves is that this world's not only limited, but have you ever felt like this world also just has this constant coming at you and never stopping? In fact, the words that he chooses up there in verses 8 through 9, if you got your Bibles, one is he just says, squeezed by life. (sighs) In other words, the word there is just pressure. It's just this never stopping pressure. We're despondent and confused at times. We're hounded. One of them that, and this is my translation on it, but just smacked and knocked down. In fact, in laying this out, this is going to be something he's going to frame here for us from a Christian perspective on what does this mean. You can see the knots that are there, but I think just for us to kind of grapple with this morning as we wrestle through what's Paul talking about, there's a progression that he's, talk, that he's trying to help us to understand that in this life we feel pressure, we feel like there's just a despondency and a confusion and what do we do with life, we feel like life is hounding us, it's just never stopping to come at us, we feel like we're smacked and knocked down, and he said this is the the normal feel of life. Let me just say this. This is natural life because we live in a fallen world. He just says, this is the world that we live in. In other words, here's the word we're going to really focus on today. Whether you know it or not, all of us in here are very weak. Very weak. In fact, when the Bible talks about weakness, it's not that we have to learn how to be weak. We are weak. We need to understand, actually, that we are weak. Now, when I was younger, in my high school days, man, I did not feel like I was weak. I felt like I had the light my whole life in front of me. I felt like I was indestructible. But as you continue to move through life, you start to begin to grasp in an interesting way that I am weak. Now, what's interesting, and let me just kind of give you from a a non-biblical perspective, what happens to us then when we realize we're weak? Well, when we realize we're weak, one of the things I think that we naturally do is we try to protect that thing that could break. Um, I don't know how many of you grew up in a household in which there were fragile things, and because they were fragile, your mom always said this to you, be careful because it can break. In fact, I was the kid that my mom never let me do the dishes, not because I didn't need a chore to do, but because it would be a very costly endeavor because I broke things all the time, and now I have children that do it. It's God's curse on my life. (laughs) But these valuable things, what we try to do is we try to protect them. We go out of our way, in fact, to try to protect these things. And what happens is, though, is we don't realize there are these realities to life that we can't protect everything. We think we can protect our kids. We think we can protect our finances. We think we can protect all these different things. But Isaiah kind of lays it out for us when God's talking and he says, look, just cry. And I said, what shall I cry? He said, look at this. All flesh is grass and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely people are, look at that. Just grass. But man, do we try to protect it. 
I think in a weird way, we're kind of longing for stability. I think it's deep within us. We, we know that there's something more than this life and just the shortness of it. The book of Ecclesiastes talks about the fact that we have eternity in our hearts. But everything about our life, we try so hard to protect because it's fragile. I think the way that I'd put it is those we trust in. And, and here's the key that we're going to look at. We're going to compare two things. The first one is those we tend to trust in ourselves. Built into us is this urge to survive and to thrive and we begin to again like I said we build all these protections around us and as we build these protections around us we start to create these structures and when we create these structures then we start to feel like we're safe and then when we realize living in Southern California that it's not safe anymore then we move to Montana and then we get to Montana and let me just tell you something as one who has lived in Montana it is as safe here as it is in Montana. No. Yes. We build up financial means to protect ourselves. We build up educational means. We get the right job. We try to somehow get our family in this protected spot. We get systems around us of, of government and philosophy and different religions. We try to create this safety net around us. But every once in a while, God in his grace shows us that we do not have control of this world. And we are fragile and frail. And in fact, over and over as I look at these fires that are burning all around and watching as these homes that people I know they invest their life into and their heart to, watching them come down oh my heart just breaks for them but it's such a reminder isn't it everything is so fragile and so frail it becomes and I would just put it this way it's just a facade stability I think sometimes we live in a, in, in a nation that we do and we think like the United States is going to be here forever. Let me just tell you something. Based upon the end of the book of Revelation, the United States will not be here forever. And if it's like every other nation throughout time, let's be honest, every nation rises and every nation what? Falls. Do I love the fact that I get to live in the United States? I love it. But the world we live in is just this. It's temporal. Everything about life is temporal. My, my son, we went out and or we, we came to the, um, the uh, trunk or treat thing here. And uh, Christy, in her lack of wisdom, allowed somebody to bring fish. Was it you that brought the fish? My son needs counseling now. He got three of them and within 24 hours, dead. So I told him, Christy's awful, isn't she, son? <laughs> Who would do this to a poor little boy wrestling through the fragility of life? But on one level, thanks for doing it because we got to have a great discussion. You're brilliant. But it's just temporal. Over and over and over again, there's this rhythm within life that reminds us, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much of stability we try to build into this life, this life is just temporal. And then what's weird is it becomes this cyclical process, doesn't it? It doesn't work, so then we try to create new stability in our life. And then we try to create new stability in our life, a new stability in our life. And each of these frantic natures of this process that we try to go in, where we trust in ourselves, we continually remind ourselves we cannot create stability. 
You can't create stability financially. You can't create stability in your workplace. You can't create stability in your family. I mean, one of the heartaches that I've had as a former youth pastor is everybody says if you're going to really have great kids, you grow them a certain way. And if you grow them a certain way at the end, they turn out to be the model citizens of the United States that will follow Jesus with everything that they are. But as a youth pastor, I've watched as great parents have raised kids. And at the very end, we thought we had something that was stable and it just fell apart on some levels. It's the nature of the world we live in. Probably some of you are sitting there going, is he going to ever say something positive? (laughs) Man. Todd's awfully pessimistic. But I think we have to come with grips, just that reality that until we understand our weakness, we will never understand strength. Because strength is not found in us. There's this way in Proverbs where he talks about it, and this is another book, is he talks about this reality of we as people as we're naive. That's the word you'll see all throughout the book of Proverbs is that we as people, by nature, every last one of us in this room are naive. We don't understand the world we live in. There's this way that seems right to man that we're going to talk about in a little bit, but we are naive to it, not understanding what's at the end of it. Then in our naivety, we think that we can trust ourselves. That's the epitome of pride. You see the next one. And we then can create all these different realities. And after we've created all these different realities, everything is going to be safe. But then we know that right behind this idea of pride always comes folly. And it is just this world that constantly gets us into this cycle that we're talking about. There's this way that seems right to man. And every time at the end of it is just destruction. That's where it's all going. There's a story told in Luke where Jesus was trying to help people get this, where a crowd said to him, a guy in the crowd says to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard, don't be naive like these people were talking about, especially he said against all kinds of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in abundance of his possessions. In other words, don't think somehow that money is going to be the means by which you can gain stability in this world. And then he told them this parable. There was a rich dude, that's more the Greek, by the way, who produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll do this. I'm going to tear down all my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Everything's cool. I have built stability in my life. He was naive And he was sitting there just in his pride. Now we do it too, okay? So don't think that we don't. Now God's kind of funny in this is that every time we think we have stability and we trust in ourselves, the epitome of pride is trusting in ourselves and God will not allow that to happen. He knows that the only satisfaction, contentment that we are ever going to find in our lives is if we trust him and him alone and all the time in our world, don't we? God shakes our world and we ask God, God, what are you doing? What are you doing, God? I don't understand what you're doing. 
In some ways we don't know and the answer of why is so difficult, but I know one thing he's always doing. He's always rattling the cage to get us to quit trusting in ourselves because in trusting in ourselves, at the very end of it, we'll always find destruction. But we're gonna talk about this every time we trust in God. And you know this, those of you that are followers of Jesus, you have never once in your life regretted trusting God. It's the only stable thing. It's like with my youngest son, man. He was, he's a climber. Stinking little boys. I came in, and he had taken a chair and moved it up to the counter. Then he grabbed his seat, his little seat he sits in, stacked it up there, and then he took a box, a Captain Crunch box, and put it across that. He was going to step on it, and I'm like running across the room. Have you ever had that as a parent where you're like, no, don't that right and I get over them right before he stands up and puts his feet on the Captain Crunch I grabbed I mean we don't feed our kids Captain Crunch you know other people but <laughs> I grab him off there why and he steps on Captain Crunch not only is that like wrong kid's gonna break his neck God is never afraid to say don't trust in that don't put your confidence, he talks about in the Old Testament, in horses. And don't put your confidence in chariots. Don't put your confidence in these self-trust structures because those self-trust structures, because they're temporal, are always going to come to an end. Don't do it. As a loving God, he's always crying out to people saying, don't do it. Luke 12, 20 through 21, but God said to him, look at there, here's our word folly. You fool. See, sometimes God's not afraid to rattle this thing. This night your soul is required of you. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the person, and here's a key word that we're going to look up today, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Now let's get positive. What's so cool that Paul's going to do now is he's going to tell us, though, that we do live in a temporal world, and we are these people that live in jars of clay, but the very next word he throws out there, though, is that we have a treasure. Now, everything that we've been doing in the book of 2 Corinthians has all led up to this, where we've been constantly talking about this reality of the new covenant, this new covenant that came in and made us different. We were cleansed of our sins. Jesus Christ forgave us of all our sins. He separated us from them. And in separating us from them now, we were made holy and clean and pure. And the Holy Spirit came inside of us. And when the Holy Spirit came inside of us, the promise of the new covenant now is, is we would be different people. This is the best news in the world and what's so crazy is as Paul says is that we have these treasures in jars of clay I'm going to put them inside of you now I don't know if any of you have ever thought how nuts is it that God has entrusted to us the message of the gospel I know some of you I know myself. But Paul says in there, though, here's the amazing reality, 
is that while we are jars of clay, we are these, these things that have a limited use to them, we are breakable, we are fragile, God has chosen to take the greatest message ever and place this message inside of us. In chapter 4, verse 6, where Christian left off last week, he's going to tell us about it, where he says, look, the God who said, let the light shine out of darkness now, watch this, has shown into our hearts this, this reality of now this treasure that's in us to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we don't comprehend how amazing it is that we have the knowledge of God, and I love this, in the face of Jesus Christ? What's he saying? It's the promise of Jeremiah 31 and the promise of Ezekiel 36. We can know God. Shush! Now, again, we hear some of this a lot of times. It should cause our minds to just go, you can know the God of the universe. God created us to know him. He created us to be in his presence. He created us to enjoy him and walk with him. He created us too, and here's the word is, is to know him. And Paul says that reality, that treasure now has been placed inside of you with all the promises and hopes and dreams, not of yours. It's not a promise of a great house and a white picket fence and a, a tree and a, tr- and a swing that sits on that tree and a red door because that's what my wife really wants. You can pray for her. And there's just all these things in it that we have these hopes and dreams and goals in. And God says to us, I have placed a greater dream inside of you, a greater hopes inside of you. I have placed the promise of the new covenant the hope in Jesus Christ, endowed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's why a few weeks I go, I asked you, those of you that are Christians, do you get who you are? As a follower of Jesus, you aren't just any jar of clay. You're a jar of clay with a treasure. 1 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, now something amazing starts to happen. Now this fragile jar of clay that on one level is we see these words squeezed by life, despondent and confused, hounded, smacked down, knocked down. On that one level, we see that we're still weak, right? We as believers, in fact, let me just tell all of you that are Christians in here. The difference between believers or should be the difference between believers and unbelievers is we acknowledge that we are weak, The downside is, is we think after we've walked with Jesus for a little while that we're not weak. The moment you forget that you are weak, you are headed in a terrible direction. We are always weak. In fact, there's this weird idea that we get in our head that when Jesus comes into me, then I become strong. No, God becomes strong in you. Huge difference. We are not inherently strong. We are weak. Now, this reality Paul learned, we've kind of gone over this one a lot in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10, is that, look, I had to learn that I was weak. Paul, because all of us are professional forgetters, Paul had to regain, relearn this whole reality of God now being the only one that he could rely on. And he said, man, we were there, we we thought life was going to end, but yet God in his grace reminded this, and I love what he says in there, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, here's the key here, but to trust God. See, God's not afraid to rattle this thing. Well, why, Paul? 
Because I know that he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Now we're starting to talk about something different. See, this treasure inside of this jar that is so crucial to us now becomes the means of not only us being made right with God, us knowing God, but it becomes now the means by which we begin to find strength because we just learned earlier, you can't find strength in self-made structures and so therefore, we have to learn something completely different, which is what does it mean to trust in God? It's why, and if you got your Bibles, look down in verse 13. He quotes Psalm 116, where David is just confessing to God, you are the only one that can deliver me. Paul, kind of taking the same kind of line along with Paul, kind of steps into that same place and says, that's right, the same spirit of faith that was in David is in me. Only God can deliver us. Let me just say this. Only, only Only God can deliver us. If you are trusting in anything else whatsoever for your deliverance, let me just say you are, I am, but God is going to teach us over and over again, you can't trust in yourself. In other words, he's moving this point. The difference between those that have Christ and those that don't have Christ are this group of people that are learning that while they are weak, they can trust God. So why don't we? You ever thought about that? I think we don't because in a weird way, we just flat out don't trust God. We don't believe in the end that he's good, and we're going to get there in a little bit. We don't believe that our God is as powerful as he is, and so therefore, we create all these structures around us that we never get to experience his deliverance. We make safe lives. We start to exist in such a way where I don't really need God. I mean, living in the United States is probably one of the most wonderful, but yet also one of the greatest curses on this planet. We can create structures and systems and everything around us where we can think that we don't need God, but yet the believer is this one that is learning to what does it mean, God, that I trust you with everything. It's this process that God's doing in our life. It's not this one-time act where suddenly we get this eureka and suddenly everything in this world makes sense and we trust God. His whole point in working this through is to show us that it's over time God in his gracious effort is moving into our lives to start to teach us that while we are weak in this world around us this week, Paul was learning this amazing reality. You can trust God. Even with the things that don't make sense. 1 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, you can see this, that as people begin to trust in God, look at the key words that come after. These are the nots. Not crushed, not driven to despair, not forsaken, not destroyed. In other words, yes, you are weak, but something paradoxical begins to happen is that as I trust God and I begin to own my weakness and my need of him, suddenly what comes into that moment is God begins to strengthen me. He begins to allow us to not be crushed, not driven to despair, not forsaken, not destroyed. In other words, he creates what the Bible talks about, which is true stability. Not the fake stuff. Not the stuff that is here today and that's gone tomorrow, but that stuff that will be here tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. Everything about what he's creating in us is to make us strong, not so that we can somehow just live and exist in this world, but he has something so much bigger in mind. 
This is what happened with Paul when he, he was sitting there and he was weak and in his head, he was thinking, God, the greatest thing to happen to me would be if you would deliver me from my weakness. It says he cried out to God. He says to him, verse 8, three times I pleaded with my Lord about this, that it should leave me, that this thing would walk away from me. But he said to me, and I love this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. You mean as I acknowledge my weakness, own my weakness, You become the power? Yes. Notice he doesn't say in there, my power is made perfect in your weakness until you get strong. Instead, he says, therefore, then I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I'm going to own my weaknesses. Have you ever noticed one of the last places on earth sometimes to own weaknesses is right here in God's people? Have you ever noticed that we pretend a lot that we have it all together? I don't, I don't think I do that. I'm actually pretty good. That's my point. We don't have it all together. We are weak. We own it. We acknowledge it. It's why we confess our sins to one another. It's why that we, on a continual basis, remind ourselves of God's power and our inability And he says, for the sake of Christ, then, I've learned to be content with weaknesses. Notice he doesn't say, I'm going to hang in with God till he makes me strong. He just says, I've learned to be content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For actually, when I am weak, then God in his capacity comes in and begins to strengthen what needs to be strengthened. Now we're starting to get towards hope. That's why Paul says in there, that's why we don't lose heart. Though our outer self, he says, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's, it's not talking about just this, this shell that we live in that's decaying. That's a true statement. But he's talking about something so much bigger here. Everything he's been moving towards in the book of 2 Corinthians is that we no longer start to act like the old man that we were. Is that along this progression, as he begins to, as we begin to own our weaknesses, as pressure comes down upon us, his point is, is that this old man begins to die. And look at this, our inner self or the new man gets renewed day by day. We get changed. The very hardship and pressure that we oftentimes seek to avoid, Paul says, is actually the means that comes into our life and begins to transform us into the people he wants us to be. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, he said it this way, and we all with unveiled face, he says, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, God is in the midst of transforming us. Philippians 1.6, he lays out this amazing reality that what he began in you, he's going to what? He's going to complete. Now, I don't think we think this is cool. Do you get that one of the greatest promises of the new covenant is not just that we avoid hell, but that we actually start to be transformed and to look like Jesus? I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes, 
But God in his grace, those that know him, he is not going to stop until he molds and he shapes us and transforms us into the image of his son. This is the point of James. This is why we can count it all joy, my brothers, when we experience trials of various kinds. Because you know that this testing of your faith produces something. It produces endurance, the capacity to stand underneath something. In other words, now, though I am weak, God in me begins to strengthen me. And you let this steadfastness have its full effect that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is the hope of the new covenant, that we would become the people of God that he's called us to be. We're being made into the very ones that look like Jesus. This is Paul's understanding of the treasure. This is what he wanted him to get. Paul says it this way. He says there's these sufferings that produce endurance and endurance that produces character. And at the very end of this character is a hope that he says, and hope doesn't disappoint because watch this, the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our lives. This process now is not only the means by which we become strong, but it demonstrates how we become strong is through that pressure, that difficulty, that suffering in which we trust in God. We're made more and more able to be able to live and walk through this world as we are transformed in the image of his son. That's why he says, count it joy. And why did he do it also? He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why, Paul? To show that the power of God, or the power belongs to God and not to us. He says, we're always caring about in the body of death so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. And he's saying, look, we, we face all this stuff and as we're squeezed to the surface begins to come all the sin and dross that needs to be forgiven of, but also to the surface comes, we start to look more and more like Jesus Christ. That word manifest means we show Jesus to the world. Has anybody ever seen Kinder Eggs before? Many know what those are? Okay, a few of us, yeah. A few, yeah, people with kids. My daughter will sit and watch this show called Kinder Eggs. And it is, don't tell her I said this, it is so boring. <laughs> they get all these little eggs out and they begin to look at them and they're talking about these little eggs and it's somebody narrating while their hands, you know, have you ever seen those where their hands are like operating and doing what they do? But the thing about it is, is you never see the treasure in the Kinder Egg until they break it. What's so interesting about us as weak people is we're so afraid of being broken. But the problem is people will never see Jesus until like a kinder egg, we're broken. See, to the surface when we are squeezed comes the treasure. Paul is saying in there, verse 11, so that we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. In other words, we are always embracing this weakness that we're talking about so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh. So not only now is God making us strong as we trust in him, but he's now showing Jesus through us. And here's the next part about it, is that now he says, look down at verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life is also at work. Does everybody see that? Okay, you should be disagreeing with me. Look at your Bibles. What does it actually say? Life is at work in you. In that text, this is what I wanted to say. I wanted to say, so death is at work in us, but life is also at work in us. But instead, he says this, so death is at work in you, but, or excuse me, work in us, but life in 
you. The crazy part about being broken is he's not breaking us necessarily first and foremost just to strengthen us, but he's also got in mind this greater reality so that others will see Jesus. And yesterday, it was a heavy day, but it was a great day. I don't know how many of you know I mentioned Christina Reeker before, but that woman, if you didn't know her, she was probably one of the most kind, loving, mischievous, um, self-giving people that I knew that had a smile that wouldn't quit. And yesterday we got together to remember her because she was a cancer survivor. But it was crazy as we hung out together, something else began to come out about this. As she was one that God asked to walk down a difficult path that all of us in different ways will eventually be asked to walk this path towards death. She walked it along the way and everything about it looked like she was someone who was losing to cancer. Her body was being absolutely emaciated and wasted away. Everything about it looked like there was nothing about victory inside of any of it. But here's the beauty about what was happening actually to her. As cancer began to eat away at her, death in a weird way thought, aha, I have won. But Paul says in this other passage in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, death is not won. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? The answer is nowhere, because actually as she died, she didn't stay in, a gra- in the grave at all. To be absent from the body is to be present what? Death didn't win yesterday. Well, I guess it was a few days ago. She did. Christ is the victor. So even if things don't go the way that we want, even if at the end of it that we are asked to now walk the path of dying, Paul knew that the way in which now he walked this path was going to not only be a comfort to people, 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7, but he knew that he who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise Jesus and bring us with him into his presence. Listen to me, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you may have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you may have to experience death, but on the other side of it, because of the work of Jesus, you will stand in this, as a person that is in Christ forever forgiven in the very presence of God to enjoy him forever. We as Christians cannot lose. We can't. Tell him I said hi. We can't. We can't. We can't lose. If God rescues us in this life, God wins. If God chooses to call us home, yesterday death might have thought it won, but actually we told the story of a woman where death did not win in the least, but she was a woman that was ushered in the very presence of God. God won again. When Jesus Christ died, he became the death pill to death. And in becoming the death pill to death, it forever now was anemic and taken away for anybody that knows Jesus Christ. And it was all, he says, for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. In other words, as we walk through this and people embrace the gospel, just thanksgiving begins to happen, not only now, but forever. But what is the reward that we get? I think that for a long time, I used to be confused about what's my reward. 
I used to hear about these crowns, and in those crowns, I used to think, well, gosh, we're just going to throw them back at his feet, so why do I want a stupid crown anyways? We're going to have streets that have gold on them. Like, why do I need a crown? Watch this. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, I love this, my joy and my what? Crown. As we walk through these things in our lives, difficulty, the reason that we don't lose heart is because we see a God that's in absolute control. This God who's in absolute control, who's going to strengthen me and transform me into the image of Jesus. And even if this life, which all of us are going to be asked to walk, ends in death, at the very end of that death is going to be the hope of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. And all those that watched you walk down this path that you became a declaration of Jesus Christ to, that they embraced Jesus Christ, it now becomes, Paul says, your joy and your crown. It's the means by which which Jesus Christ fills the halls of new creation to worship him one day, we cannot lose. We can't lose. In other words, everything in our life now becomes forever secure in eternity. That's why Paul in 4.17 says it's light, momentary affliction preparing, being prepared for us the eternal weight of glory. This morning I just sat there and I just prayed, what does the eternal weight of glory feel like and look like? What is something that I can never imagine? What is it like? I think so often we're afraid of trusting God in this life and he's looking at us saying, trust me with your light affliction. Trust me with the temporal nature of it. Trust me with it and in trusting me with it, I promise you that at the very end of this, it will all that light momentary affliction is gonna be replaced instead by an opposite eternal weight of glory. I was trying to imagine what's it gonna be like when we enter into new creation to enjoy God. What's it going to be like when there's no more fires and destruction? What's it going to be like when we're not opening up the news and going, oh, some other people got shot again? What's it going to be like to wake up in the morning and did not have to have this alarm that's screaming at you going, another day, another day, another day, another day? What's it going to be like when you're not trying to figure out what to do with your kiddos, whether they're two or 92? What's it going to be like to finally be at the place that is everything we hope for, not the facade stability, but the stability that God promised forever and ever and ever. And Paul says to us, this is what I want you to think about. Live your present always looking to the future. He says, don't lose heart. I promise you, I promise you, based on what God said, there's going to come a day where there's going to be a shout and a trumpet. I promise you. I promise you that those that are in Jesus Christ will be caught up with our Savior forever. I promise you that we'll enter into an eternity with him that will never end, that will be constant joy as we enjoy him for who he is and who he's created us to be in the world that he designed for us to live. 
I promise you, living your life for Jesus Christ now and choosing to trust him, even in the difficult moments, even in those times where it's so difficult to trust him, you won't regret it because at the end, we cannot lose. I mean, you can live your life differently. You don't have to live in fear anymore. You don't have to live in anxiety You don't have to worry about what's going to happen in this world. Are you going to? Yes. If you're just like me, you will. But this beautiful process isn't even just about the future. This beautiful process is God transforming us, not future, but he's already transforming us and making us into the people that he wants to be. And I'm here to tell you again, and I'm going to keep saying this all the way through the book of 2 Corinthians. You're a part of the greatest thing ever. Do you understand who you are? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, You are sons and daughters of the king. And no longer do you have to get caught up in the self-trust process. You can get caught up instead in the greatest thing ever, the gospel of Jesus Christ and trusting him with everything. I'm gonna skip that one. He finishes this way. What starts to happen to us? He says, as we look not to the things that are seen, he says, we start to no longer see the things that are around us that are temporal, that we're building our lives around, these these insecure structures. But to, to the things that are unseen, we start to focus our mind on heaven. For the things that are seen are transient. They're here today, gone tomorrow. But the things that are unseen are forever. Follower of Jesus Do you get who you are? Do you understand we're a part of something that cannot lose? Do you understand that he's showing you right now by transforming you into the image of Jesus? Do you understand that even as you walk through difficult times, we don't walk through difficult times as those who have no hope. We walk through these things without losing heart because as God squashes us, he begins to transform us into the image of his son. And as he transforms us into the image of his son, we begin to communicate this hidden treasure that's inside of us to the world. And as this hidden treasure begins to be communicated, manifested to the world and people embrace it, more and more people begin to know Jesus. Jesus Christ, you cannot lose. Never, ever forget who you are. Never. I'm going to finish this with a prayer, Billy. We won't be doing a last song. I just want everybody to stand up. For those of you that are students in here, that it seems like life is in front of you. It's all a gigantic glowing wonderful in front of you. I'm here to tell you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that glow is the eternal kingdom that's coming. If you don't know Jesus Christ, that glow in front of you is just the ever-present reality that you won't escape from, which is judgment in front of God. For those of you in your 20s and 30s, up to your 90s, whoever you are, don't miss this opportunity if you don't know Jesus. 
I know in the midst of the turmoil and topsy-turviness of the world, it's hard. But for those of us that know Jesus, our hope is secure, forever, held in the very hand of God, who neither height nor depth nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from him. So in the name of the Father, who rules and controls this universe in absolute control, in the name of the Son who came and defeated Satan and sin and death so that we might enter into that relationship with this God who created the heavens and the earth, who sits in absolute control of all things and gave us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee of an inheritance that's forever held in heaven for you. May you go this week in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit as people who have no need to lose heart. God bless you all this week as you go. Amen? Amen. All right, we'll see you.